Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and we've got a great one for you today. Today, we connect with Ryan Gokenauer. Uh, Ryan is actually a part owner of Midwest Outdoor Chasers, which is a media company here um, yeah, based out of Iowa. And uh, I basically found him online, and he had a ton of stories to tell, and he did not disappoint. So um, today, you're going to hear some stories from him hunting in the West, doing some uh, elk hunting in Colorado, some turkey hunting and deer hunting in Iowa, and even some crazy boating trips with his uh, father and uncle. So I hope you guys enjoy. It's a good one. Ryan, thank you, of course, very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking your time. Now, uh, let's go ahead and kick this thing off and let Ryan tell you his stories. All right, Ryan. Welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast, man. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. I'm I'm happy to be here. Happy to happy to share some stories. Absolutely, man. I uh, I I've I've already told you. I start every episode like this. Everyone knows that, but uh, it took us a couple tries to get this thing scheduled. My fault. I'm glad you're here, man. I, I'm glad you had patience with me because I'm excited to hear your stories. Um, just so everyone knows out there, I actually was just playing around on Instagram and I saw a post was like, here's an amazing article of an amazing hunt story. And Ryan was the author. And so I reached out and was like, you know what, man, don't know anything about this, but let's get you on the podcast. I want to hear your stories. And Ryan was happy to. So, um, Ryan, why don't we, why don't we kick this thing off now that I've told the people where I found you, um, with a little bit of who you are. Yeah. So I'm Ryan Gokenauer. Um, Born and raised in Southwest Iowa, the Missouri Valley, Iowa is where I'm the hometown where I'm from. Uh, just about 20 miles north of the Omaha Council Bluffs area, uh, so kind of nestled down here. I've been I've grown up hunting and fishing all my life. It's been a huge part of who I am. I uh, even decided to to create a business with some friends uh, called Midwest Outdoor Chasers, where we kind of highlight everything uh, everything hunting and fishing here in the homeland kind of thing. Uh, we, uh, yeah. we've, we've, we've got together with a videographer who's put together some killer content for us. And, uh, yeah, we just really like to highlight everything that we do when it comes to, uh, everything outdoors, hiking, hunting, fishing, we get into just kind of everything, love cooking a wild game, love sharing that with all of our family and friends. Uh, yeah, we just, we really love to just highlight everything about it. We just, we're, uh, all of us grew up together, minus one. Ben is our videographer who we kind of just met here in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, but everybody involved in the group, we grew up together. We've known each other since, shoot, we were six or seven years old. So uh, <laughs> we, uh, we all get along real great, and we all like to highlight everything about it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, our, so you guys are just like a media company at this point, or do you have like other products that you're putting out there? Just a media company primarily. Uh, we do have some merch. We've got some hats and uh, hats and sweatshirts, t-shirts, and some swag. Uh, but right now, we're just trying to kind of get some content out there, putting out some really cool videos that Ben puts together, uh, and just trying to highlight the aspects of hunting and fishing. And then we also have a, a another aspect of the channel called Primal Plate, where we put together all the the game meat that we get throughout the year, and we make some recipes, and we kind of show show how to make it and, and different recipes we, we come up with and different adaptations that we have. That's cool. And so you said you've known each other for a long time. Have you all always been hunters? Uh, have you hunted yes. your whole life? Okay. Yes. All of us have all been hunters except for Ben. Ben is our, uh, Ben Mohorn is our videographer guy behind okay. the camera did not grow up hunting. Uh, the way that we first met him is bringing him out on a hunt. We, we did a goose hunt in a field. And he's, he, uh, he was working with a friend of ours, wife word got out that he wanted to, to kind of, uh, he wanted to get out and just film kind of experience all I that. Mean, oh, he wanted to yeah, film. He, okay, cool. He wanted to film a hunt. He just wanted to bring a camera. He didn't want to bring a gun. He just wanted to come out and sit and see what it was like because he'd never been out. So, uh, we had him come out with a field hunt for, uh, for I think a late season, January goose hunt in a field and. We, uh, we didn't end up getting any birds, but I think we got him hooked because he's, he, he hasn't left our side since, uh, he's a great, <laughs> great guy, a fantastic human being. And we're super happy to have him part of the team. Gotcha, man. Is he uh was he a photographer, a videographer by trade, or is this something that was like kind of a new passion of his and, and you guys are helping him develop that as long as you got right, like right alongside you guys developing your organization. So he, uh, 
Ben is a unique human being, and I, I can't wait for him to hear this because he uh, <laughs> he uh, he was raised on a homestead. Uh, I think he went to high school his junior or senior year uh, in public school, but other than that, he was homeschooled. Uh, he he's self-taught with a camera. I mean, he he's not he doesn't have any formal training. Everything he does, he's taught himself. So he uh, he'd never really been hunting in much in his childhood, and then once he started working with our uh, Alyssa, which would be uh, one of our one of the guys in the group's wife, uh, word got out that he really wanted to see what it was like. And we just invited him to come along and he, he just fell in love. He's, he's really trying to develop his business into the outdoor media and to try to yeah. film and, and film outdoor content. Uh, and, and it, his, his style of, of, of filming just, it blends so well with, with the outdoors. That's awesome. he, he really, he captures every essence of, of, of the frame and, He's just very impressive. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, maybe someday we'll get the rest of the team on the podcast to tell some of their stories. Unless you burn awesome. some bridges telling your stories that you're going to tell us today and they don't really want to get involved with you anymore. Well, <laughs> for, you know, for, for airing that dirty laundry, right? <laughs> yeah, they're they're too they're too in in deep with me, so I, I don't think they get rid of me too easily. Uh, perfect, perfect, Ryan. Well, let's kick things <laughs> off, man. Let's jump into some stories. I know you got a couple ready up, uh, queued up for us. Why don't you start by just, you know, sort of setting the stage, give us kind of when, where, what, how, or, you know, however you feel is the best way to kick this thing off. Yeah. So like I said, I've, I've been hunting and fishing and, and doing everything outdoors for a really long time. Um, I, I hate to admit it when I tell people about it, but when I was a kid, I, my dad really forced me to, to be out. Like I, I never really, I liked it, but I liked it because he liked it. I was more involved, you know, as a teenager, I was more involved with, with, you know, sports and girls at that point in my life. Or I think, I, I think that be. exact sentence has been uttered on this podcast. Like, 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I look back and I, I wish I would have cherished a couple more of those memories with him. Uh, just coming up as a kid, I, a couple of my, my most famous hunting memories involved the, you know, the first kill, uh, I was turkey hunting when I was eight or my first buck I took when I was 10 or 12. Uh, I, those memories really stick. And I really wish I would have honed in on that when I had the chance, but you can't change the past. And I've, I've been doing a whole host of, of hunting and fishing since if, if it's walked or ran around Iowa and the Midwest, I've chased it in some fashion. Um, but a couple of my most favorite uh, stories that I like to tell are involved actually going out west of or near Walden, Colorado, in the Medicine Bow Trail, the Medicine Bow Mountains. I think it's what's called. Uh, yeah. I've done two elk hunts out there. Uh, second season rifle. We did a drop camp where they take us up on horseback, leave us for a week, and then come pick us up. Oh, uh, cool! Come Very cool. Hell or high water. Yes, it was su a surreal experience both times. The first time that we went out there was 2019. I ended up taking a five by five and my dad was able to take uh, a five by six. It was his first bull since he had been elk hunting in 24 years. And it was my first, my first elk trip. And I got a, a pretty nice little bull out of the deal. Um, <laughs> I bet he's proud our, of you. Our, oh yeah. He, <laughs> he hated me for two days. And then once he got his, he was, he was, he was pretty peachy with it. Um, and he, yeah. he got a really, really nice bull out of the deal. But uh, out of the two trips that we've taken out there, the the second trip really sticks out more than anything. Um, it was an absolutely miserable trip. I mean, from the get-go. We got out there. We we took off two days early. We ran into a snowstorm just north of Denver. So it took us a while to get into Walden. And by the time we got in there, it was there was three or four inches in town. And once you get to the lodge, you start talking to some of the locals. They say it's been snowing up on the mountain for a few more hours. And they, it's it's just supposed to get worse with the elevation that you go up. So yeah. it didn't start out real hot. Uh, but once we got up, we got to camp uh, that morning. It was Wednesday morning. We were getting set up. And our, uh, our guide with Medicine Bow Outfitters uh, kind of was skeptical. He Once we got in there, he... We didn't really know what it was going to be like and, and having a drop camp, essentially what it was, was an army canvas tent and 
they, they, they literally take you up on horseback, they drop you off and then you hunt for seven days. So there's not a yeah. whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of, not a whole lot you can do when you get up there. So yeah. How far back did these guys take you? Were they taking you five, 10? It was, I think it was then? seven miles. Okay. That's seven miles. Good. And we were, yeah. And we were right at about 11,000 feet. I think 10,000 people in your party. Elevation. Uh, we took one, two, three, five up. Okay. Stayed with five. Yeah. Cause one guy did a guide. He did a guided hunt and he actually got a, a cow on the trip, but all five of us went and stayed up at the drop camp. Okay. So we, uh, we went out that that Wednesday. We left that afternoon, thinking uh, we might we might as well get up there because at this point it was still snowing. So we tried to get up there as soon as we could. Uh, and it's I don't do a whole lot of horseback riding. Um, I love it in short spurts. <laughs> that seven mile uh, horseback ride took almost three and a half hours with the amount of snow that was on the ground. And it was, it was brutal on the way up and there were no, we didn't see a ton of tracks. We didn't see many animals. I mean, it was the snowstorm kind of kept everything down in elevation and we learned that the hard way once we finally got up there. Uh, I was going to say, I hunted that same unit and and where I hunt snow's great news. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm hunting a, a couple seasons later, so go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, and I'll talk about that on our first trip too. It snowed. The, on the first few days and it was great hunting but uh it it just continually kept snowing on the whole the whole ride up to the point where when we finally got to camp it was about 13 inches of snow on the ground and the entire way i could hear my my uncle who was on the trip with us talking to the guide uh asking him what do you think the camp's going to be like do you think there's going to be any damage to the tent this that and i could tell that the guide was a little uneasy about it because i mean 13 inches of snow was going to wreck any kind of tent and once we got up there it was it did the the entire (laughs) the the entire tent caved in tore and everything inside was just crushed i mean it was just we got up there and by the time by the time we got up there it was six or seven o'clock so it was just at dusk i mean it it was it was getting dark so we kind of had to make that decision to where a we could either ride back down on horseback get back at about nine, 10 o'clock on another three hour horseback ride, or we could load up our gear. We brought a gear tent along. Luckily we could set up a gear tent and a few of us could stay in the gear tent overnight while the, the guides went and hunted down a, another tent down at drop camp or down at main camp. So we get there, we, everybody's kind of hemming and hawing at this point, there's five of us hunting three or four ranch hands and the guide. So we're all trying to salvage what we can from the tent that had collapsed as far as equipment that was in there. I mean, our wood stove was in there, the bunks that they used, the cots, the little stove that they have, the, the propane stove that we had to, to cook with. Um, we, uh, we tried to salvage what we could. We set up the gear tent and then my dad, myself, and then, uh, my cousin decided that we were going to stay in the gear tent overnight. And my, uh, family friend and uncle were going to ride back down the mountain because the gear tent was only shoot eight by eight. So it was just enough to fit two cot, three cots. One of the cots was a bunk bed. And then the other cot, we, we kind of set up and then we set up a a wood stove. So we, 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 uh, we spent the night in the gear tent, basically nuts to butts on top of each other, (laughs) just, rolling that wood stove for as long as we could and it was brutally cold i think that night it got down to negative 10 or negative 15 and Oof. it sucked man it sucked yeah it was I bet. It, and the worst part about it is you go out there and you're so hyped you know it's it's finally here you're finally ready for the hunt and you get there and it's just it's kind of soul crushing to get up there and realize well this this you're gonna spend the night and super cold weather your your hunt's not starting off real real hot already yeah god i can't even imagine man especially if, like the very first thing is just just shit stick just hitting you over and over again that's tough man yeah, yeah. i'll say i've been i've we've talked i've hunted that same area and uh, i've had some years where like burn bands right and so we oh, sit yeah. up and we stayed in a wall tent the same thing and we couldn't start a fire so get one of those little mr heater buddies uh, and oh. we went through like we went through like 35 canisters <laughs> we're like we're making this thing happen I don't care how cold it is. 
Um, oh. We had good sleeping, our, our sleeping bags, and what we we were good there. Um, I think it only got down to like maybe negative one or two, like right on zero. Um, but man, it was it was tough to hang out in that tent for too long w- without just getting into your sleeping bag. Oh yeah, I I think that that first night I had a sleeping sock inside my sleeping bag, which was a negative twenty degree rated sleeping bag, and then I was I think I had two or three layers of clothing. We ran a buddy heater, the stove. And I ended up putting some of my hand warmers, breaking those <laughs> open and shoving it inside my sleeping bag because I was just frozen. It was yeah. it was brutal. I believe it, man. But, I believe it. But it was, I mean, it's fun to talk about now. And that's <laughs> that that's kind of the mentality that I had when I got out there. I was like, you know, this really this really fucking sucks right now. But you know, this will be fun to talk about 10, 12 years from now. You know, I'll be able to tell my kids about this one day and they'll They'll ask me how stupid I was to pay for the experience to go out there and freeze my ass off. So it was, it was good. It was good, but it it wasn't a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But, uh, my, when I, when we first got out there, we spent the night, uh, my wife, this is the second trip that I had taken on this drop camp. And there I don't have great service whatsoever. Uh, my wife is not a huge fan of the, the the no no contact and not in like a bad way she just likes to know that i'm safe and i, yeah. I kind of pulled a dick a dick move on her uh i couldn't get a hold of her that that night so i waited till the morning and i went to the the highest little peak that i could find and i finally got service she didn't answer her phone so i left her voicemail and she saved it for when i got back and I don't know what I, I I think I was huffing and puffing from walking up the mountain, but I got out there and I said, (laughs) we're fine, but the tent ripped. We got to spend the night in the gear tent and it's super cold, frosty and Rod had to go back down the mountain. And and then the the voicemail ended. So she's just freaking out. So I, when I finally got back to the, another spot of service, I just got unloaded on with, with text messages and phone calls from her (laughs) because she was so worried about me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, really mean to put it like that, but we're good. It just that's pretty good. A lot man. of snow. Yeah, no, my wife's the same way. Same way exactly. I uh, I don't know yeah. if you've seen with those Garmin inReach. Garmin, if you hear this, hit me up. Uh, but they're <laughs> like <laughs> they're like this little GPS device. It's tiny and it links to your phone, and you can send text messages just about anywhere. And so, like, she knows I get like thirteen texts a month that month out of that thing. So she gets one text every evening, being like, "Made it back to camp." And that's all she's going to get from me when I'm hunting. But, you yeah. know, that's that's good enough for her. I was like, you'll you'll get a, something outside of the standard text if anything yep. is going on. Um, otherwise, you're just going to get that one thing. And so and that's uh, what it I ma- told makes her, her too. Yeah, it makes her feel a little bit better, especially knowing yeah. that there's also an SOS button on those things. I don't know if you've if you've seen them, but don't tell her about it. She'll she'll find it. And, you know, <laughs> but no, we uh we, we spent the night in the, in the tent and it, it was a pretty brutal night. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't very fun. And we, uh, we spent the morning splitting firewood. We, uh, we, we thought we were going to be able to go do some scouting. Uh, but with that amount of snow on the ground and, and just the temperatures, we, we decided to just try and make camp as comfortable as we could, because we, we were still going to have to be up there for another week. So we spent the morning splitting firewood, uh, kind of salvaging the tent that had ripped up like whatever we could out of it. Uh, and finally about noon, one o'clock, uh, the guide showed back up with my uncle and our, our family friend, Rod and Frosty. The, the guide showed up with some horses and some gear and thank God they had a, an extra canvas tent down at camp. So we spent most of the day getting everything set up. So day one was spent digging out, getting bearings and just setting up camp and that uh, I'm a, I consider myself a, uh, a, a flat land boy. I mean, we have some Hills here in Iowa, but for the most part, we're sitting at like a thousand feet of elevation and you can see your friend from one side of the state to the other. So when you get <laughs> up into those, that elevation, it, it hit us like a ton of bricks. And it, I, yeah. every time I go out there, I feel like I can get a handle on it, but it, it just kicks your ass. Yeah. So day one. How do uh, you guys ass. sleep all right? I know a lot of people struggle with that, especially older folks. I don't know if your dad or uncle had any trouble sleeping. Uh, no. Outside uh, of the, the fact worst, that it was already freezing. Yeah, the worst part about sleeping with them is the snoring. Uh, <laughs> I uh, the elevation didn't affect me as much. I had to take uh, earplugs this go around because with 
three guys over 50, then they uh, they rattled it enough to where there was no ice on the on the top of the tent the next morning. <laughs> That's they funny, uh, they took care of that pretty well. Um, That's so funny. But, uh, yeah, I, I've never had much of an issue sleeping out there. And I think it's just because I'm going, going, going so much when I'm out there that I basically just crash. I remember the first yeah. time we when we broke down one elk on the first trip. Man, I don't know if I've ever been so tired of my life. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I got back and just passed out, woke up the next morning at 5 a.m. ready to go. <laughs> but, um, but, um, we, uh, we spent day one, which would have been Thursday up there, just getting everything ready. Uh, Friday rolled around. We had some time to scout. We didn't really do a whole lot of scouting just because of the snow that was on the ground, but it was pretty apparent when we were out there that there was not going to be a lot of animals. Uh, the way that our camp sat, we sat kind of down in a bowl. Uh, so everywhere that we went was a little bit, uh, higher elevation than where we were at. Uh, and there was two, they called it Baldy and little Baldy. I'm not sure if what, what you guys have called it out there, but our guides called it big Baldy and little Baldy. And it was basically just, a, uh, the top of the peak where the, the tree stopped was big Baldy. And then there was another area that was just a little wide open that they called little Baldy. And we tried to get out there, uh, in between, there's a, a nice timber patch. Uh, when we were out there the two years previous, there was a ton of tracks. It was almost like a, a super highway rolling through there. And that Friday when we were looking around, we we didn't see a single track. I mean, there wasn't even a squirrel track up there. Yeah. So we uh, we we kind of just got our bearings on Friday set to, to start the season on Saturday. And it was worse weather conditions Saturday than it was when we first got up there. I mean, as far, there wasn't really snowing, but we had 30 mile an hour winds and temperatures that were in the negatives. And it was just trying to sit up there and not have any relief from the wind is just brutal. I mean, oh, just it's so awful. brutal. And that's, that's basically what it was for the next four or five days. There was a couple, there was two or three days that might've gotten into the twenties, but Everything that we saw, we found this great big uh, rock cropping that sat down and looked looked over the sage flats and the mountain, which was just a beautiful view. But uh, we could definitely tell there was a spot about two or three thousand feet in elevation below us where the elk were just huddled up together. And if I was uh, if I was a marathon runner or someone's in a little bit better shape, I might have thought about taking a poke down there. But the thought of having <laughs> to haul haul all that animal back up 2,000, 3,000 feet in elevation just was not in the, not in the cards. So they didn't I, leave I, any horses I, with you or is that like not part of the service? Like, no, nope, they just dropped they, you uh, off and you're on your own and they picked they you up. They dropped us off and left us. Yeah. Okay. They, uh, they, they bring the horses back. Uh, the, the first year that we did it back in 2019, they brought the horses so we could haul everything back down as far as meat and, and stuff that we'd harvested. But, uh, while we were up there, we were on our own. And, and I, I, when I wrote the article that you were talking about, it was, it was kind of the surreal feeling of being up there. I mean, it, it's, it's unlike a lot of people try to ask me to explain what it's like to, to be up there on the mountain. And it's, it's not something you can really explain unless you've been up there and experienced it yourself. It's, it's a surreal feeling because as miserable as it was, and as uncomfortable as I was, there was something so beautiful about it. I mean, when, once you, once we found that rock cropping, we got to see the sage flats and the, and the sunsets and the sunrises. It just, it's so quiet. I mean, I, yeah. I, I can't explain how, how quiet it was and as sucky as it was, it was a beautiful time too. It really, I had a great time. We didn't, we, none of us got anything. Actually the, the one chance that we had, I had a cow tag and everybody else had a bull tag. I was with my cousin and we were trying to get, get to some higher elevation. Um, and as we were walking up there, we, uh, we heard something stomping through the snow. So we both stopped and there was one cow elk that was on a trot coming back down actually towards our camp. So we set up and she wasn't stopping. I tried to bleed at her and she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop. And all of a sudden I see a, a horse coming up and it was our guide who was going to the next camp farther from us to, to assess and see what it was like to see if it had ripped apart the tent and destroyed that, that camp as well. So he spooked the only elk I saw the entire trip. 
God. I was heartbreaking. And that was like day four. I was, you know, I was already miserable. I'm like, this is my chance. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm out 10 miles in, in the middle of nowhere. And I get an elk bumped by the only other person out in the middle of nowhere. So it was, it was kind of heartbreaking, but it was, it was fun. I mean, it, it really was. Yeah, man, I, I've been on plenty of unsuccessful hunts and they all have a very special place in my heart because it's just, it's a beautiful place, man. It's a beautiful place. It's it's pushing yourself beyond what you probably thought you were capable of doing and it's just a hell of a good time. So getting out there elk hunting, even when you don't have success is still you know better than any day at the office, right? It really is, man. I it, it's, so, it's so different to being in the area in the world that we are in Iowa to be out there and to see that kind of country. I mean, you think, I think I'm in a rural area here in Iowa, but you get out there. I mean, it's just, it's wild. It really is. There's no other way to put it. It is just a wild area. And it's really cool to see that. Yeah. That's cool that you guys stuck it through with that that weather, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I can't say that whether or not I'd make that same decision if I walked up on that tent (laughs) with it just being ripped down, but that's yeah. pretty cool that you guys went out there and, 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 you know, put in the miles regardless of whether, how, uh, you know, how it turned out. So, yeah. Yeah. We had the option. Once we got out there, the, the guide gave us the option to go down to a, a lower elevation camp that was kind of in more of a, a timbered area. Um, and we, we contemplated it, but we had had such good luck in the previous trip up at the spot that we were and, and just the, the remoteness of what it was, we all just kind of decided that we wanted to test our luck and yeah. The, the, the way it worked out, we, uh, we didn't get an elk, nobody there. One of there was another guy that went out with us. He, uh, he did a guided hunt. He got a cow. Um, but, uh, one of the ranch hands that was there, I've kept in touch over the years. He's a, he's actually a guy from Iowa as well. So we, we keep in touch pretty often. He went out and did fourth season, uh, the same year that we did. And the way it worked was when we were there, we were at about 11,000 feet in elevation and all the elk were about eight, seven, 8,000 for whatever reason, when he did fourth season, it, it switched. He hunted at 8,000, 9,000 feet and all the elk, he was sending me Snapchats. All the elk were at 10,000 plus elevation on the, the bald area, the little baldy, big baldy area that we were in. Uh, I don't, I don't know how it flipped because there was still a ton of snow on the ground, but the moment you think that you know the animal, they they surprise you every time. Yeah, I mean, I would never would have guessed that, but who knows? Maybe no. uh, that is the area where they're the wolves are coming in. So who knows? Maybe some wolves. Push that them. was yeah, that was a hot topic when we were out there. I remember. So we did our first hunt in 2019, and it was they had just found like a lone wolf and there or yeah. a track. Like one farmer was talking. There was rumors that there was a a wolf around, and by the time we had got there in 2020, there was a pretty established pack there, and I think it had between seven or eight uh, distinct wolves that were there. Uh, yeah. Actually, the, the ranch hand that was there got a really cool shot on his, uh, on his spotting scope. He was watching a moose in the sage flats, and all of a sudden the moose took off, and then seven or eight little black specks followed it. Oh, and they man. think it's that wolf pack chasing a, chasing a wolf. Uh, it's, it's pretty wild out there. I think the week after we got back was the first confirmed cattle kill. By a wolf. Uh, yeah, and they've taken a couple of dogs now too. It's have they? It's not good. Yeah, and that area is it got so many moose, man. We this last season we were there. I think over the course of a four day hunt, we saw probably t- like twenty seven moose, and who knows if it's oh, the same wow. or not. But like we just, everywhere we went, we'd see moose, and uh, that's not going to be like that for much longer if those wolves really start to multiply. Yeah. Which they they yeah. will. Uh, you know, I think they, I think they can like they they grow by forty percent. Like their packs can grow by 40% year over year. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's so weird to hear about that because I mean, I can't really talk on it because I'm not, I mean, I'm in an area of the world where there's really not a ton of wolf activity or ever has been. It's, it's cool from my point of view to see the reintroduction of some of those wolves into this, into these habitats, but I can see just how, how reckless and, and how, how much damage they can do. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what the population of elk's going to be like the next time we go out there. I think we're set to do a, a muzzleloader hunt in 2024. Um, but if they're going to be killing cattle and taking moose and taking elk, I mean, yeah, it's from on one hand, it's really cool to see the, the population reintroduced, but you know, at what cost? 
what's yeah. what's going to be the the result. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I'm right there with you. I uh, I don't mind the wolves coming back on their own. I don't think we should really have a hand in it, even though we had a pretty big yeah. hand in removing them. Either way, we're getting off topic, Ryan. That's not why we're here. That's not, not, right. that's not why we're here. We want to hear some yeah. more stories. Yeah. So, uh, so th- that was a good one, man. And, you know, it's it's funny. Often people on this podcast tell stories where they do not have success because success is one thing, you know, harvesting an animal, filling the freezer. But it's like it's the struggle that people really remember. So thanks for sharing yes. that one with us, man. Yes. Um, but what else you got? Give us give us another one. So, Set the stage again. So I'll go back to our, our first trip. So our second trip absolutely sucked. Our first trip was an absolute success, at least on my end. My, my dad and I both harvested a bull, both of our firsts. Um, we went out for the very first time in 2019, same unit, same camp. Um, and when you go out there for the first time, it's, it's an absolute, I mean, mind fuck. I mean, coming from the flat land that I do to go out there and be at 11,000 feet in elevation, is just a totally different world. Yeah. Uh, so we got out there that Friday. We did some scouting before the, the season started and we just saw a super highway coming through the area that we were going to be in. I mean, the same super highway that we thought was going to be there on the second trip was there in full force on the first. Um, and uh, still pretty brutally cold. Uh, the nights got down to about negative 10, negative 15, but the days got up into the thirties, forties. And then there was a couple of days in the fifties and sixties, but yeah. Yeah. was this still second more, rifle? Same, same this is still second. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we, uh, we get out there, we do some scouting opening morning comes and I go sit in a spot that my uncle was just bound and determined that there's going to be an elk come to me. So there's a pretty heavy updraft coming from the base of the mountain up. And it's, it's pretty cold at this point. And I'm sitting facing the wind right now. And I, he put, set me up in this rock cropping, looking down into a, like a little goalie timber cut, um, and I got about 20 minutes into that sit and I'm like, fuck this. I am just, I can't feel my toes at this point. I'm so fucking cold. I flip around and I sit on the backside of the rock cropping to, to get out of the wind thinking, you know, if something does come up from behind me, I should be able to hear it, or at least I'll be able to, to, to be hidden at some capacity. Uh, and lo and behold, five minutes later, uh, here comes a cow elk and she comes from my left shoulder and walks to about 35, 40 yards right in front of me. She, and then she's followed by a calf and another cow. And they stand there for two or three minutes. And that wind is rushing so fast that she whiffs me pretty quick and she starts taking off. But but I didn't know was behind the rock cropping was my bull that I had shot. And he was standing there watching the two cows and the calves and the calf. And, uh, so they both take off and I hear him kind of start to trot. And I, in one fluid motion, I saw he had horns, pulled up my rifle and shot and shit myself. I thought that I had <laughs> ruined it. I didn't, I, he was close enough to where there was nothing but Brown in the scope. And I, I, yeah. it, it happened so fast to where I didn't even have time to think about it. I just, yeah. By the time they shot him in the was, ass, man, they shot him vitals. You have no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I didn't even see where I had shot at that point. I was shaking from being cold and shaking from so much adrenaline that I couldn't even think straight. So what's the first thing that I do is I call my dad who was up there hunting with us. And I'm like, I'm, I'm so mad at myself. I think I, I don't even know what to think at this point. I just shot at an elk and it had horns and i I, I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, go look and see if you can find blood. All right. That's probably a good place to start. Real so, quick. How, how far was this elk from you? And like, what, what variable scope were you using that it was all brown? Well, when I finally walked it off, he was about, he was like 25 yards away. Okay. And he yeah, was all running. Brown. Yeah. He was running away from me. And I think I had it on like a three or four power. I mean, I wasn't real scoped in, but at the same time, he was just that close to where, I, I couldn't really tell. So the way that I was sitting, the rock cropping kind of overlooked a little cedar patch that, that crested on a, how do I, it's weird to explain, but there was the, the cedar patch kind of sat on a high point And then there was a smaller bowl just down from where the, the elk were running. So yeah. I walked to his tracks. I found a small speck of blood and I just, I was sick to myself. I was like, well, here I am opening morning. I'll waste my one shot. I draw blood. I'm done because it, it it's not enough blood to warrant. If I was back home and I saw that much blood, I would pretty well deduce that there's not going to be much more. 
So I walk it off and I get to the, the top of where the bowl started. And I look down and I just see a, a patch of brown laying about 15 yards away. And then <laughs> I kind of looked around. I'm like, there's no way. This, there's no way that this, that this just happened. And lo and behold, he was so close and I hit him directly in the lungs that everything was just kept internal. All the blood. I mean, I, yeah. if I wouldn't have seen him, I wouldn't have been able to track him because there was absolutely no blood other than a few minor specks. What but caliber were you shooting? Seven, a seven mag, my grandpa's. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. a good, not a rifle you want to take at 25 yards. I mean, it just, <laughs> there was nothing to hit and I hit nothing but lungs and it just went right through. And he, he was from where I was sitting to where he laid, he was maybe 40, 50 yards away. I mean, he was yeah. not very far, but uh, it was an absolute great I, I can't even explain the feeling that when i got up there and found that elk it's just the biggest animal that i've ever taken in my life i mean we have a lot of white tails here in iowa but these they're, they're just another animal out there yeah man elk are a totally different beast even a small bull is uh you know four plus <laughs> uh white tail <laughs> yeah and that you know i didn't really realize that until i stood next to one of these things i i I remember walking up to it and thinking, this is like, yeah, four white tails packed into one massive animal. And I, I remember walking up to it and I just, I was pretty speechless for a bit. I, I was, I figured the, if I ever shot an elk out there, I'd call my dad and I'd bring him in and we'd sit there and we'd, you know, him and haw and, and celebrate everything. But I, I think I spent 30 minutes just kind of sitting and soaking it in. It was, it was one of those things that you you want to do so badly and you, you build yourself up so much. And then once it finally happens and the way that it happened so quickly, it was just, it was such a wave of emotion. It was, oh, I mean, yeah. it, it hit like a ton of bricks and it was such a cool experience. I do. The only regret that I had is I do wish that I was sitting with my dad when I took mine. Uh, but I was able to sit with him on his and that's a whole other fun story that I can tell when this one wraps yeah. up, but it was, it was so cool. It, it happened so fast and it's so hard to explain because to tell the story it, in real time, it all happened in about less than a minute. I mean, by the time yeah. that I saw that cow to where that bull was running to me was, I mean, I, I, I didn't even have time to think. I just pulled the rifle up and shot and, yeah. and thank goodness my grandpa's rifle is, on, is dead nuts. You know, I, <laughs> I, it would been hard to miss at 25 yards, but I'm glad that I'm glad his rifle was pretty well dead, dead on. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I've killed one elk. It's actually the first thing I ever killed uh, when I started hunting. And, and so I shot it with a muzzleloader. I've told this story before, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. I'll let you know which episode. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, um, but I'll let you know later. Uh, but when I shot it with the muzzle loader at about 60 yards, got up, I didn't know what to do. I'm just like panicking, reloading my muzzle loader, like dropping all my sabots and my black powder everywhere, just being like, oh, God, what do I? So I and then I just ran to where I shot it, not thinking I shouldn't do that kind of stuff and spook it. I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, which funny is while I was reloading all stuff, like a truck drove by because I was standing on a road. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And they're like, what's this idiot doing? Either way, I jump up and I get there and I look down this game trail and I'm like, I know this is where it was standing when I shot. And I look down and, and there's that bull and it just stood there. You know, you know, you could, I could tell I was a long shot and it was, it's hard. It's real hard yeah. to put down something that big. Um, yeah. I've killed a couple things since and nothing quite compares to, to dropping an elk. And, um, I, I sat there and watched that thing, you know, slowly and, you know, die about yeah. 40 minutes. So, um, it, yeah. it's heavy. It is. It is. And I, I'm kind of glad that you bring that up. Cause my, the, on the same trip, when my dad shot his elk, he, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily love telling the story, but it's such a, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny the way everything happened. Um, yeah. same trip. We, uh, I shot mine opening morning at like 9am. So I had the entire rest of the trip to, to basically fuck off on a mountain. So I was hiking, I was going out, I was having a good time. I was splitting firewood, hunting with my dad. And it came up to be Tuesday morning. It was a six day hunt. So Tuesday morning rolls around. I'm sitting with my dad uh, that morning and he's, 
cow calling and a elk is just a satellite elk or a satellite bull is just bugling his ass off from below. I mean, just on a string, every time a cat, my dad would cow call this, this bull would respond and he came up on a string. So where we were sitting, we were looking down the mountain and there was a small clearing in the timber that we were pretty positive he was going to come up in. And I was sitting on a rock just below my dad. <clears throat> so we were sitting, I was sitting on a rock just below my dad and he was sitting just up. I mean, he was right behind me, but he was sitting up on my left shoulder, essentially. And we were both looking to our left, figuring that, that this bull was going to come up through the, through the timber and not into the opening. Uh, we were hoping he would come into the opening, but we were figuring he was going to take the most difficult route. So he kept bugling. Dad kept cow calling, bugle, bugle. And, and then it got quiet for about 10 minutes. And we, we both kept looking into the into the timber to see maybe if he was just going to come up and creep up and see what the situation was. And all of a sudden he popped out into the opening and he is just a gorgeous bull. I mean, uh, he's a, a mounter. He's a, a nice, a nice, nice bull. And he's sitting at about 75 yards. And at this point we weren't expecting him to come up that way. So the way he had his shoot, my dad had his shooting sticks and his rifle was pointing the opposite, kind of the opposite direction. So we made the uh, quick decision to use my shoulder as uh, as his shooting sticks. So <laughs> he, he doesn't love me when I tell him that story, but I do every time I shoot a shotgun now, my, my ear kind of rings for about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, his first shot at him took out his left shoulder and, and the bull froze and just stood there for a minute and didn't move. So we thought, well, maybe we met, maybe he missed. So we took another shot and for whatever reason, as soon as he shot, that bull dropped his head and my dad actually shot his jaw. So Ooh. when we, yeah, oh, when we finally came up on the bull, his, his jaw was only held by the skin on his cheek. But that second shot, he still froze. He, he would not go down. So we shot a, set, a third time, took out the right front shoulder, and he still froze. He just stood there and just would not Damn. He wouldn't run. He wouldn't fall. He just stayed. And we gave it like five minutes. I'm like, you don't need to put another bullet in this animal. He's not going anywhere. So we gave it about five minutes and he kind of started to stumble a little bit, but again, stood and froze. So my dad shot a fourth time, hit him right in, right behind the shoulder. And at this point it was enough to give him a kick to where he kind of stumbled down into the trees just a little bit, a little ways. So we walked up on him and this animal was still alive. I mean, they are tough sons of bitches. So we yeah. finally put, he put one round in the, in the heart and he died quickly after that, but it took five shots for this thing to go down. And it was just, he hate, if my dad listens to this, I love you a ton, but the, he had an excellent taxidermist fix his jaw because his jaw was so fucked up that, I, I don't know how that thing was, was still dangling there by the time we got done. It was, yeah. but that it was such a surreal experience because it was my first trip going with him and it was my first trip out West elk hunting. And he had been going since I, well, I was born in 95 and he had been going ever since. So it's been at that point, what, 24 years, 25 years that he had been going. Uh, and that was his first time taking a bull. And I was so happy that I was able to be, be right next to him with it. I don't love that. He, he shot on my shoulder and, and kind of <laughs> and affected the earring a little bit, but it makes for a hell of a good story. And yeah. he was, he was able to take a really cool animal. You know what? Uh, it's, it's funny. You're the second person to have their father shoot off their shoulder. Um, Casey, <laughs> Casey McAllister just told the story similar whitetail in Oklahoma, but his dad did the same thing in episode 31. <laughs> so, so that's pretty damn funny. It's, um, he, he hates when I say it that way, but it's a pretty integral part of this, of the storyline. You know, it's, it's important. It, it does. It now it forces me when we're sitting in the duck blind, I definitely have to have my hearing protection in. Otherwise I'm not going to hear shit for the rest of the day. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what caliber was he shooting, man? That's crazy. That it took five rounds. I mean, <sighs> if they're, if they're blown out the shoulders, like, I don't know why that animal's standing. He just, he just must've been, you know, I will say when they get fired up on adrenaline, 
Like sometimes they just don't even know, you know, that's what. yeah. That's the only thing I could think of. Cause he came up on a string. I mean, he, as soon as he cow called that morning, he came straight, he responded and came straight up the mountain. I mean, you could just hear Must every time he called, he was so, he was closer. It was, yeah. He, I don't know. I believe what, it, man. He's a tough son of a bitch. I, I give him all the props in the world. I believe it. So that elk that I was telling you about, I, I looked it up. Episode eight is when I go over that story with Gabriel saying Don, because we both told stories because we each killed half an elk. So those are our half elk stories. Um, but my brother-in-law shot that elk for about with a 50 caliber muzzleloader, right? At okay. maybe 10, 10 yards, long, heart, long. I then shot that elk downhill going uphill. So long spine. Uh, and so this elk, I then watched it die for 45 minutes. I didn't know, I didn't know to send another round. I was right. like, it's, it's, it was my first time I'd ever killed anything. <laughs> I wasn't a hunter before. I was like, it's been shot. I see lung blood. It's standing there. I don't need to worry about anything. I'll just sit here and wait. And it was hard, hard for me. But like when we took him apart and gutted him out, his heart was gelatin. Like there was nothing <sighs> there. There was nothing there. And he was on his feet for no, no kidding. 35, 45 minutes. Man. So, yeah, tough, they are tough critters. I thought whitetail in this area were tough, man. Those things are another beast. They just, it was impressive. It was absolutely yeah. impressive. Yeah. When we, uh, when we skin mine down, I, I literally was able to retrieve my sabot from the spine. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Pop this thing right out. So I went from below up through a lung into the spine. It was gnarly, gnarly critters, yeah. man. Um, oh. they're tough. They're super tough. They are. They are. Yeah. That's why it's like, I hear about archery guys. I, I become an archery hunter. I haven't killed anything, but a Turkey with my bow, but I'm working on it. Um, but I hear about guys dropping it in elk and it doesn't go 30 yards. I'm like, I guess that just being co- them completely unaware that you're there. I don't know what it is, but then I hear guys, I, I know I with 250 round caliber or 250 caliber shots into an elk or your dad's five. Like, who knows? Yeah. That's why shot placement is important, man. Yeah. I see. I'm not much of a bow hunter. I really never, I I've bow hunted, but I've, I've never taken anything with a bow. Um, but yeah, some of seeing some of the way these guys go out elk hunting, I just, just the experience that I had, I mean, my one shot was a double lung shot. And I, I think I was just absolutely, I, I don't, I didn't take any skill into that. I was just luckier than shit. But what, seeing my dad's bull take five shots and still stand there and look at us, yeah. I just was, I thought, how, how can one arrow take any of these animals down? I mean, they're just, right. They're just tough. I mean, they're a different breed. Yeah. And four of your dad's shots definitely be an immediate kill shots. Like who knows? Oh yeah. The jaw one would have killed it. I mean, maybe eventually, but uh, the <laughs> other four, the other four definitely would have done it. Yeah. The jaw one was. I, that was one of those I've hunted a lot. I've killed a lot of things in my life. Um, that one kind of that made your stomach churn a little bit, especially because I, I watched it in real time. As soon as he shot the, the, the elk ducked and it just, it's like watching a movie. It just, his jaw just gave out and it was Does just, he ever blame yeah. you for moving? Like he's like, oh, you yeah. shouldn't have moved. <laughs> you, you shouldn't have moved your shoulder. You should have, you should have crested your, your shoulder up a little bit to, to hug my rifle bear a little bit more. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've got yeah, it your, all. your fault. It's all your fault. Yeah. Man. So. That's why if you're listening to this, find a damn good taxidermist because he was able to find one and you would have never known there was no jaw on that elk. No shit. Could you have a, could you send me a picture of that elk? I'd love to see what the taxidermist has done and like, see if it's like, yeah, yeah. I'll I'd love to see that picture. picture. Yeah. It's, awesome, man. It's so cool that I, I mean, it just to attest to the animal too is, so he got that one, uh, a shoulder mount done on it. And I have white tails in my basement. And you stick those things up on the wall and they look like a deer. He had to put this thing three quarters of the way down on the floor because his antlers were touching the <laughs> ceiling. I mean, it's just, they're big critters. That's awesome. He ever get it uh, scored? No, nope. Nope. He was just, he's just happy to have one. Yeah. He probably should have sure, though. He probably <laughs> should have. Maybe, maybe someday you can do it for him or something. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, yeah, one thing I'll say, I don't know who's listening, right? But you know, none of us want to take five shots. Uh, I no. know your dad's shots were good shots. Um, we're just trying to speak to the the toughness of the animal here, right? Like, yeah, we've all done there and had to put a couple rounds into an animal to make sure that it's as painless as possible. But that's the nature of hunting. It's yeah. still better. It really than, is. You know, it it yeah. really is. Even when you take two clean shots, I mean, 
it's, it's sometimes it takes a little bit for them. I mean, I, I remember the first buck that I ever shot, the first whitetail I ever shot here in Iowa. I, uh, I was, it was first season shotgun and I had, it was running towards me and I shot it high. So I, I think I shot it just below the spine and it wasn't able to run, but it wasn't able to die. So it just sat there and it just groaned and it made those just haunting noises. And I'm 10 or 12 years old when I do this. And it's, it's something to where even at that age, it's still stuck with me now. And I, I still remember the sounds that it made. And I remember we had to come up and, and put it out of its misery. I mean, we had to, to dispatch it in a, in a quick way. So it didn't sit there and suffer. And, and yeah. I remember that process of shooting that animal. And I do remember my dad telling me right then is, you know, if you do make that bad shot, you know, make sure you, you dispatch it as quickly as you can. If you have that capabilities, yeah. it's, it's just, the, it's a humane thing to do and it's, it's the right yep. thing to do. So yep. we, we definitely preach on it and it's, it, yeah. it, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. That's You're exactly gonna what I was going to say. Shot. It's, it, it's just how to, how you react to those, some of those situations really helps, you know, it gives, it just shows how, how much you respect the animal in that sense. Yeah. And keeping your head in it, right? Your dad put additional shots in. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even know when I shot mine. I just sat there and watched. So it's too bad. <laughs> I, I regret it. But also, the animal's heart was gone. So I'm not sure if he was all there. It might have just been yeah. standing on pure, pure. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. But good, man. Cool. Well, let's yeah. uh, let's give your father a break here. Uh, do you got another story for <laughs> us? Uh, I do actually. I do a little bit more recently. Uh, this one involves. Uh, a guy that's involved with Midwest Outdoor Chasers, Luke, is his name, Luke Allman. Uh, and also my wife, my lovely wife, McKenna. Uh, we, uh, we, we had a really successful 2022 turkey season. Um, we were, I was able to get a double turkey with Luke, and I was able to get a double turkey. And my wife's first uh, animal she's ever hunted, she had a, a, a successful turkey hunt this last spring. Um, we, uh, we went out, and the, the way the seasons run here in Iowa is we've got four seasons you're able to get tags for two of the seasons, but they can't be consecutive. So we, uh, I think we hunted uh, first and third or second and fourth. I can't remember which one I did with McKenna. Anywho, we, uh, we sat at a, a spot of a family friend of ours. That's pretty, pretty populated with turkeys. It's, it's got a healthy population on it. Uh, yeah. We went out the first morning, Luke and I went out, we sat and uh, we sat kind of at the edge of a timber below a terrace. And as soon as we got out of the truck, gobbles. I mean, it was just, they, they were lit and they were ready to go. They were on fire. So we get down, we get the, the uh, blind set up, and we have Ben, our videographer and, and cameraman with us. So he's getting everything on, on camera, and he was able to get this hunt on camera, which was, it's, it's super cool. We, uh, we get set up, uh, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the goblin kind of stops for a little bit. Uh, probably about an hour goes by and we really don't hear much. And then all of a sudden we get two toms that about 300 yards away, just, they don't gobble much, but they, the way the terrace sat is all you could see is just a little redhead popping up and down behind the terrace. Uh, and about <laughs> 300, about 300 yards, you could just see every time we would, we cluck at them, their redheads would pop up and they'd look and they'd see our decoy. So Luke set up the DK, the decoy with some fishing line. Uh, we couldn't get the gobblers to come in with just the call. They just, they, they were too skeptical about what was going on. So we had a, we had a pretty boy decoy set up uh, full, full strut. And as soon as Luke moved that fishing line and turned that decoy 300 yards, those birds came in on a beeline. I mean, they, they closed <laughs> the gap between 300 yards and us in probably 30 seconds. I mean, they, they were ready. They were hot to trot and ready to fight. So once those turkeys came in, it was kind of a mad scramble because we weren't expecting them to come in. We, we both had our guns semi-ready, but we weren't, we weren't expecting those things to come in as quickly as I had. So it was kind of a mad scramble for three guys and one blind to get all set up with, with, two, with two shotguns and a camera. So as soon as they came in, they went straight for the, the decoy and they started beating the decoy up. And then they both scattered and we were able to get two clean shots off. So we were able to take our first double together. Uh, which was so cool to do. I've, I've turkey hunted a lot in my life, but being able to shoot a bird with your buddy at the same time is, is kind of a, like a rite of passage a little bit. It's, 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 That's a, pretty it's cool. a fun little, it's a fun little memory to share. 
But uh, a couple weeks later, I take my wife out for her first hunt. She'd never been hunting before. I took her out for the turkey hunt, sat up in the same spot. Turkeys came in behind us. Uh, we set up thinking they were going to come in the same way that the, they did on the previous hunt. And they, they did a, almost a 360 on us. They kind of circled the, the blind and didn't give us a real clean shot up until they got just to our, the, our like back left. They saw the decoy and then two Jakes came out. To, uh, I don't know if they were just curious or what, but she was able to get a clean shot. And then the, the gunshot from hers kind of spooked one of them into an opening to where I was able to get a shot on one. So I was able to get a double with her as well uh, and share <laughs> that moment with her. So it was, it was a really fun, successful spring Turkey hunt this last year. That's awesome, man. That, that's yeah. cool, super cool. Reminds me, I have a buddy that uh, I went Turkey hunting in Texas and I've told the story of my Turkey, but I never told the story of his turkeys, which afterwards, so I, he'd never Turkey hunted. He was never, he'd never hunted. And I was like, yeah, come along. I, I know this a little bit. So let me try and show you. I put my turkey down, monster gobbler, like super happy with it. Um, it's actually with my bow, only animal I've ever killed with my bow. So good. That's been impressive. Happier. That's super yeah. impressive. Yeah. I almost cut his head off, which means I think I missed and got lucky. Um, but <laughs> either here or there, right? Um, but he he was like, okay, well, I still have my tags. And in Texas, we were in Texas. And he had, I think you get three or four turkeys on, on your hunting license when you when you do it in Texas. And so I'm like, yeah, just keep my decoys, keep the blind, keep everything here. Like you come back in the evening and, and do your evening hunt. I'm going to run home. So he texts me later and he's got three birds down. So he went back and he started calling and I gave him my little slate call. So he's, you know, dip, 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 with my slate call yep. and all that. And, the, and the, the birds came in and he fired his shotgun and took two of them. And then the other one just stood there and he's like, well, I guess I'll shoot the other one too. So he shot three <laughs> toms. Um, none of them. I mean, they're borderline Jake's like they're all small birds, sure. but I was like, yep. bro, I'm not even, I was like, from a legality standpoint, you might've done something that no one's ever done before. It's like <laughs> yeah. maybe two States. Do you have enough tags? And then the, the fact of just three birds in two shots, like that's insane. To, but Man, that's impressive. He was eating good. He was eating good. Uh, and now yeah. he, he's since then moved to Montana and has become addicted to hunting. So I uh, gave him some of that good stuff and he, he can't get enough of it. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm hoping as we grow with our business, I'm hoping that we're able to get out west a little bit more because it's, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time here in the Midwest hunting just about everything. But you're kind of maxed out with what you can get and what what hunts you can do. I mean. The pinnacle of hunting around here is whitetail. I mean, it's, and we're very blessed with yeah. pigs around here. I mean, it's, they're very, very nice whitetail deer, but it's kind of the, 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 the peak. I mean, of real quick, Ryan, do. I don't mean to interrupt, but you say pigs, yeah. Does that mean big deer or do you actually yeah. have pigs? No, no, no <laughs> we don't have, sorry. <laughs> we don't have any pigs here. When I say pig, I mean a big, a big buck. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. You said that yeah. twice. And I was like, I had no idea there were wild hogs. <laughs> I, wish, I wish we had the wild hog problem around here because I would love to have the hunts. Yeah. I, but, but yeah, a, a, a big white tail, I call pigs just, uh, that's just fun. Um, yeah, but it, it, that's, it's kind of the pinnacle of, of hunting around here. So, I mean, you have turkey hunts in the spring, you have your deer hunts in the fall. Uh, but other than that, I mean, as far as game, I mean, yeah, you have your critters, you have predator calling. We could do coyote hunts. You, we do squirrel hunts and rabbit hunts. But man, getting being able to to get the company to where we want it to be able to go out west and to start doing some of these big, big mountain hunts, it's it, it's it's a work in progress. But I, I've being able to do it two times now. I've been truly blessed, and I just being able to get out there is just is it's it's awesome. It I. Yeah, I I have a lot of guys that I'm friends with that hunt have hunted their entire life around here. And I'm like, I tell them that you think, you know, what hunting is until you get out there. And it's, it's nothing. It's, it's one thing to get out of your truck in the morning, hunting a cornfield next to somebody's, you know, pasture ground or outside of your grandparents' house. It's another thing to go out there and not, and be the only soul within miles around. It's, yeah. it's, it's a different breed out there. And put on 12 miles and not see a damn thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That's the worst part. Yeah. Well, but it's worth It's good, though. I, it I enjoy it. It's worth it. Um, it's very much worth it. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. Like, I haven't done much whitetail hunting. Uh, and so it's interesting to hear from a whitetail hunter that, like, still 
the Western big game is kind of this Shangri-La of hunting because it is different. Um, yes. You know, I just moved to Texas, so I'm kind of going to start dabbling in the whitetail stuff a little bit more. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that all of it is wonderful and amazing. Uh, but I do think that the, those big game Western hunts are just something different, man. There's something different. They are. It. They really are. I mean, it's it's a little bit mysterious, too. I mean, you're we're, we have a lot of public ground where we are. I mean, it's very rural, very a lot of a lot of farm ground. So there's there's a lot of deer around, but the, it's nothing compared to the wide open spaces that are out there. It's just yeah. and, and and all the critters that it hides. I mean, there's moose, elk, mountain lion, you know, all sorts of different things. And it's it's just like going into a whole nother world from where we are. It's it's For sure. It's pretty cool. For sure, man. Well, Ryan. This has been fun. You got you got any more for us, or you want to wrap it up here? You know, I have a whole host of other stories. Um, my my big game hunts are kind of the ones that I could tell and 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 have kind of a storyline. The rest of them, they involve a lot of bullshit and my buddies and my family, and they're they're memories that are fun to tell around a fire. Uh, I've I've done a ton of different things. I've I've done some deep sea fishing in Florida and in Hawaii. I was just out in Hawaii in August and was able to take a, a actually a mahi mahi, I guess you would call it double Luke, my, the friend that got the, the double Turkey with me earlier this spring, him and his wife and me and my wife went out to Hawaii together. We did some deep sea fishing. We were able to get a, a mahi mahi both together. Um, we've done some deep sea fishing. Uh, we do a lot of bow fishing here in Iowa uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but down in Texas is kind of the pinnacle of bow fishing. Getting down there to to shoot some alligator gar is definitely a goal of mine that I'd love to get down there and see them. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah, we've man, I've I've got so many memories and so many stories that it's uh it, it's a whole lifetime of memories that just been compiled and and I'm just happy that hunting and and the outdoors have have been such a big part of my life that you know, not only can I make these memories and, and start to build a business on it's, it's something that I can share with, with people like you, with, with friends and families and communities like this. It's, it's, it's humbling to see how, how just a simple, you know, hunt can, can impact so many different things. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I, uh, I am, I have not hunted as long as you and I'm, I'm filling up my book of stories, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's it's it creates memories. Even the the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, oh yeah. Your friend being an idiot. Like uh, I'm gonna tell yep. this. I'm not even gonna tell. Uh, no, you know I'm gonna tell this story. My buddy's been worried that I've been to tell this story for a long time, and here we go. And so <laughs> we're elk hunting. <laughs> we're archery elk hunting. We're glassing this hillside. We're just looking for elk, and uh, I'm looking over my buddy, and he's just like got his pants undone, and he is halfway up his forearm down his pants, like just messing around down there. And I'm like, what are you doing? And his answer created his nickname. Right. So uh, he was like, (laughs) well, he just looks at me in the eyes and goes, man, you know, I just, I just got this little pricker. And he meant like a sticker burr or like something sharp or, you know, some, (laughs) something poking him. But he used the exact words is, man, I got this little pricker. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. I was like, I think I know what you mean, but that ain't ever going away. And he's been worried I've been yeah. to tell that story now. And we're episode 35. There it is. There it, it is. is. I'm not going to say his oh, name, but uh, my hunting buddy is little pricker. And it always oh, will be. Um, that's and, that's, funny. and that's what hunting is about is those, those moments of just like, Oh, I'm never yeah. gonna forget. I'm never gonna forget. I'm never gonna forget my buddy fishing around in his pants. Like, yep. never will. So those those are the stories and the and the nicknames. I I have one like that, and my uncle. It it's a it's a very funny joke that my uncle and I say between the two of us now. But we were doing a, a walleye fishing trip up in South Dakota. Uh, we've done a bunch of them over the years. We we got up there, and for whatever reason. He got lights out drunk. I mean, black out drunk. He <laughs> drank so much Tito's on the boat that he popped the little stopper glug glug thing on the tip of the vodka bottle, a handle of Tito's, and he had three quarters of it gone within an hour. I, I, nobody, for whatever reason, nobody was paying attention to him. And he's not, he, he's pretty, he's a very self composed guy. 
he's kind of a hard nosed dude, but he's very self composed. But he got lights out drunk, and <laughs> if there was four of us on the boat. It was my dad, my uncle Rod, who was on the elk trip with us, and myself. We were fishing on all four corners of the boat, and for whatever reason, he thought it was hilarious to start the boat motor, crank the wheel, throttle it up, and get us all tangled up and just do circles out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> and it got to the point where my dad was going to fight him and all sorts of stuff. So the ongoing joke was he got his boat taken away. So anytime you drink too much in our, in our hunting party, you get your boat taken away. So if you're, if you're in the shed or if you're out drinking, you know, if you're just got done with the hunt, you drink too much, you get your boat taken away. So it was, it was one of those things where like just fun little memories that just kind of last a lifetime and it's happy to be able to be able to do it. Yeah, man. I need to, I need to find a way to get more of those little gems, like the little pricker, like getting your boat taken yep. away. Uh, I need to maybe start prompting people to have like one little, like one liner stories. Cause those ones always yeah. make me smile. So they do. Bye, Ryan, man, this was fun. This was a lot of fun, man. Again, thank you for putting yes. up with my rescheduling while I moved all around the country and back and forth and no, the holidays. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, why don't we sign off here by kind of letting the people know again, where they can find you, um, your Instagram, you know, your, your company's Instagram website, yep. whatever you want to share, uh, you know, hit us with it. Yeah. So we, uh, our, our company's name is Midwest Outdoor Chasers. Uh, we have uh, MidwestOutdoorChasers.com that's going to have all of our content, uh, merchandise, and uh, we do a, a weekly article that myself and then Noah Bertelson, who's also on the team, we both put out an article every week. Uh, just kind of trying to highlight different aspects of the hunting and fishing world. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel, Midwest Outdoor Chasers. It's on the website. Uh, we've got our uh, on the on the YouTube channel. We've got our our hunting videos, but we also have our Primal Plate series to where we're putting all the wild game on the on the grill and on the on the in the oven. We we show all different kinds of recipes that we like to to highlight. Um, but yeah, you can find us there on Instagram. We're Midwest Outdoor Chasers as well. Uh, we we really love to highlight the area of the world that we live in and the, the luck, as lucky as we are to, to be able to, to hunt and fish and enjoy it with each other. Of the dream, man. Cool. The dream. All right. um, I will put links to all of that stuff in the show notes, you know, like usual. Awesome. So if anyone wants to uh, just make it nice and easy, just go down there and click, but that's it, man. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much for coming I on. Appreciate I really appreciate you coming it. on. Let me, let me chat and, and, I love being able to share this stuff, man. I'm I'm happy yeah. that someone like you is who's pretty, you know, still fairly new to it, getting his feet wet. I'm I'm so happy that that you're so welcome into the community. It's it's awesome to see people come in and 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 love it just as much as we all do. Yeah, man. It's it's been amazing. Um obviously I'm reaching out to all sorts of random people from this podcast and everyone could not be nicer and more excited to tell their yep. stories. So yep. it's, uh, this has proved a lot easier than I thought it would be. Uh, you know, all I got to do is <laughs> shut up and not ask dumb questions. So Ryan, thanks again, man. <laughs> Michael, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. All right, guys, that's it. Another couple stories in the books. I want to thank Ryan, of course, for coming on the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed his stories as much as I did chatting with him. Um, make sure you follow him on Instagram, uh, specifically his uh, media company, which is Midwest underscore outdoor underscore chasers. Uh, and I'll put links to all of his stuff in the show notes. So you'll find it all right there. Um, and then, of course, don't forget to follow us while you're over there. So that's hunting stories underscore official. And then there is homework as usual. Get out there and share this podcast with more folks. We want to hear more stories. We want more people to hear the stories. And the only way we are going to do that is word of mouth. Um, so that being said, guys, thank you again for tuning in. Ryan, thank you again for sharing your stories. Now you guys know what to do. Get out there and make some stories of your own. Thank you.